Yes, sir. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the KO'd Convo. This is episode six, and my good buddy, Bosco Bopopole, who I went to high school with, is joining the show today, and he's one of those stories, along with his brother, that just makes you feel good inside whenever you hear he was born in Ghana and moved to the States when he was in middle school and worked his way up and was able to run division one track in South Carolina. So really hope you enjoy this story today and we're going to take a quick, quick break and then we'll be right back with my man Bosco. Here we go. Welcome back to the KO Convo. I'm here with uh, one of my great friends from high school, Bosco Bapuapale. He's originally from Ghana. Um, he traveled to the States when he was in sixth grade, I believe. Yes. And uh, right before we started, we were just talking about how his new love, how his uh, favorite uh, pump up music is actually African music. When did that start? It started, what? <laughs> I'll say my freshman year, I listened to it a little, but then my junior year, that's when a new guys from uh, Ghana came to Warford to run, to play soccer for the team. So they started playing that music more often. So I was like, you know what, this movie, this music is lit. So I started listening to it more and more and more. And it just keeps telling me, like pumped me up. Is that is that your normal? Would that have been your normal uh, pre meet music then? Yes, I would. Even before and after the meet, I'm listening to it. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, before we go back to your to your background and stuff, I mean, I want to focus on the athletic side to start. What did you? What was your mindset like before each match? How focused were you, and what helped you get uh, get that focused? Oh. <laughs> I mean, that gets me focused on track. I would probably say motivation was I'm trying to hit my goals. I'm trying to hit that time that, I'm, that I feel like it will get me in good position for recruitment and all that stuff. So that's my motivation. Did you have the same pre-meet like routine before each race or did you switch it up during I your- switched it up. was... High school was different. Coach Buckley had a different setup of how I was to warm up before meet. But then when I got to college, my college coach also had a different routine. So yeah. it was, it's kind of different, but two, two different I end up doing, things, right? yeah, two different things. But sometimes if I feel like my, high, my college way of warming up isn't enough, I add in my high school routine <laughs> a little bit to get myself sweat more. There you go. There you go. Um, how was it four years running running co- Division One collegiate track in in the U.S.? Uh, it's I- fun. It's fun and hard at the same time. Was the way you practice in the collegiate level is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. The workouts. Oh lord, it's death, man. When we have the hard days, I just feel like today's not going to be my day. No one should be talking to me. I'm focused right here. I'm trying to finish this workout and be gone. It's hard. Just quick. It's fun. Yeah. 
during uh during those those times. Um, in terms of the team, though, was there more people from uh, outside of South Carolina? He went to uh, Wofford in in uh, South Carolina, by the way. Was there more people outside of Wofford running than uh, or outside of South Carolina running than inside? Like, no. did more people come from out of state? No, not really. No, they mostly they all came from my rival school. Like when I went to middle school in Charleston. So the most most of them came from Wando High School, and that was like my rival school. Oh, uh, so, yeah, a lot of them. But on the sprinter side, I was about four people that were out of state. So not a huge. There's not that many diversity when it comes to state wise. Right, right, but the. The camaraderie, I mean, the chem- the chemistry was certainly there among you sprinters, right? Yes, you got to have chemistry, especially when you're doing the 4x4 four four and the 4x1. Four <laughs> yeah, you got to have chemistry with that. Did you ever drop yeah. the baton? You never dropped the baton, did you? I did. <laughs> How many times? I did. I dropped the baton during our final 4x1 relay. I dropped it. And then I was like, oh, damn, I dropped it. So I, I started to walk back. And coach like grab the baton and run. So I grabbed it, <laughs> and we end up coming third place. Well, all the team, about four teams, got DQ. <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah. Well, even the, our girls' team ran faster than us, but I dropped the baton. We ran fifty-six seconds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what you? Huh? What position were you? Were the anchor? Were you the anchor? No, I wish I was the anchor, but it came me on the second leg. <laughs> Four Usually, cue huh? that race. Yeah, so like when he handed me the baton, I had it on my left hand, but I thought I was like you symbol, so I stretched it to my right hand, and that's my slip and fell on the track and rolled all the way to the grass. Right, the kind uh, of Usain Bolt, as they say, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so it seemed like you had a lot of uh, a lot of ups and downs but would you would you say running uh or i, I wouldn't say uh I, I would combine it i would you say being a student athlete at a division one school was uh gave you more benefits no <sighs> that's hard because i feel like if you go to a bigger school you have more benefits but as a small school that i went to warfare was a small school so the benefit wasn't fun. At least, least, we didn't have that much benefit. Right, right. But we treated the same as a student, regular student. Yeah, but as a student athlete, obviously, you you have you had to take away something, right? Like you had to take away a time management. Like your time management improved, and your organizational skills obviously improved. Yeah, <laughs> student, right? Yeah. So, for um, for me. Freshman year all the way to junior year, I focused on track. I didn't care about school that much. Even though I do my homework and all that, but I was still focused on track. But I was focused on my goal, the hit that time that I needed. But wait, wait. after that, huh? Sorry, go ahead. So after that, when I started my coach, the way coach was training me, wasn't helping me reach my goal. So I was like, you know what? If I retire from running track, what is there for me? 
So that's when I started focusing on school stuff. And I didn't care much about track. <laughs> so, so, that's, so would you say then your love of track kind of faded away as you went on? Yes, based on how we practiced. Yeah. As a pure sprinter, I felt like I wasn't doing what a pure sprinter would be doing. So it just ruins my day every time, especially at practice. And you're supposed to have fun when you're running track. But at this point, I was like, I just want to be done. I just want to be done with this practice and be gone. You want to go home, huh? Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, you had to have thought, though, and I know you've told me this about running for the Ghanaian national team, though, right? Exactly. That was the goal. That was one of your goals. And then did yes. it fade away with the love of track? Yes, it did. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I wasn't improving as much compared to how I was in high school. So. Yeah, you did have a pretty rapid rise in high school, I remember. And, and uh, for those listeners, uh, Bosco and I went to the same high school, Stuart All High School in San Francisco. And his athletic, uh, once everybody f- realized how much of an athletic freak this kid was, Everyone wanted them on every sport. It didn't matter what it was. <laughs> he joined the football team freshman year. And one of the fastest guys, uh, one of the fastest guys, I think he was a senior at the time. He was the quarterback, Laboyder Card. Yes. The guy down the field and couldn't catch him. And then all of a sudden you see Bosco coming from the other angle, just completely chasing him down. And everyone's <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, that was one of my best highlights. And the one that Alkiza, when I almost jumped over the guy. Oh, my. Uh, that was dope. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was nuts. And then, of course, uh, Coach Buckley, Mr. Buckley, our track and field coach, came out of the woodworks, and he was just like, yeah, you're going to run for me. <laughs> yes. I felt I was like, what is track? But I never knew what track was besides cross country. Was, I did cross country in middle school. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean um, – but then your your rise as a as a track athlete certainly was was well documented and, and well respected um, until an unfortunate uh, injury your senior year kind of kind of derailed that a little bit. Um, did that kind of like when that injury happened? Did that sort of change your mindset or like make you lose confidence in your? Yes, especially when the doctor told me that I will never be able to run or get back to my top speed. So I just killed my spirit. But I also tried to prove him wrong. So that's when I started working harder and harder, going to PT all the time. And I even took a year off from running. I was rushed my freshman year to get my hip flexor fixed after the surgery. What, uh, what was your... If you can remember, and if you can't, that's okay. What was your PR in high school? It was ten seven two for the one hundred, then uh, twenty one seven four for the two hundred. So ten seven two for the one hundred. Yes. And then how close? How close do you were you to getting to what the doctor said you couldn't get to, like seventy five percent or so in college? In college for the one hundred. I got, I guess because I pushed myself so hard, I got better on the blocks. So I was able to prove by a point, oh, one seconds on the 100. But the 200, I could not 
get back to like my top speed on the two. So it was, it was devastating. But that's that's my main event. I love the two hundred. Why? Because I'm not good at the blocks. I'm like a plane. I it takes me. I would start slowly, then I start building up my speed. So, so then once you turn that corner, then you can. Oh yes, that's how I'm up in the air. I'm already there. I'm flying, guys. I'm flying. But were you better at the 200 or better at the 100? Better at the 200. So that would be your specialty, you would say, if you had to yes. one race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's kind of switch gears here and go back to your background. You grew up in in Ghana, um, and just what was life like growing growing up in in a completely different country, and then coming over to the United States? It was it was different, but in a good way. The way I grew up, even though. Like, we usually walk to school, it's about two miles. And I thought that was kind of fun. Like, take a shortcut, cross over a river to go to school early before you be late. <laughs> but here, coming to the United States was a shock to me. I guess the way the, the way the system works here is completely different from back home. And I feel like here you have more freedom to do whatever you want. Right. So, yeah, you have more freedom when it comes to like, you can go to school late and then you'll just be like, go downstairs and get a, what's called a permission slip or something like that and then bring it back up. That's all. <laughs> but back home, you get punished for that. Oh, even if you're like a minute late and stuff? Yeah, if you're a minute late, it's a punishment. And in your, uh, your region or town, it was called Bogatanga, right? Did I get that right? Yes, Bogatanga, Upper East Region. So was it kind of like a uh, culture shock to you in the sense of how different the population was, like coming to uh, Charleston and then San Francisco, which is even more populated? Was that population a little bit of a shock to you, the population difference? No, not really. No. No? I mean, I don't, I don't know my about that stuff. That did not affect me. It was just the way people were living their life. That was kind of shocking to me. Especially in San Francisco, it was completely different. I loved it. <laughs> that was the best city that I've been to. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly is a, uh, it certainly is a great, great spot. Um, so you come into the United States around middle school age. Were you nervous at all? What What were some of like the roadblocks, uh, obviously, that you had to go through? Uh, one of the toughest part was speaking English getting people to understand what I was saying. So that was a struggle, a huge struggle. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's not perfect, but yeah, I put a lot of effort into it. Those up and downs with this, making people cry. I was crying. I couldn't understand them. They couldn't understand me. So every day after school, I would stay with my language teacher, he would teach me English. We go over all our homework, math, all the way to like science topics. He helped me with it. So that's pretty good. And I appreciate that a lot. Nice, nice. Um, obviously, the language barrier is, is such a like complex thing, and a lot of people don't really understand it. So, I mean, but your English is great now, my friend. <laughs> yeah, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. But, than your native tongue, to be honest, and I've never really heard you speak your native tongue. So, uh, <laughs> so 
I also want to talk about the kind of difficulty because I know you did have some difficulty being able to come over here, right? Because it is pretty hard for uh, for Ghanaians to leave, not just for the United States, but for other countries as well, right? Yeah, it is. Well, I think recently the government, the president of Medan, was it? He made a deal about how he could get some of the African-Americans that are, that are descendants of Ghanaian, Ghana side to come back and they could get their citizenship to help with the economy. So that's why it's hard for Ghanaians to get issued for visa to leave the country, to go to a different country. But I want everyone to help the country's economy rather than going out to work for other countries and help them out rather than helping their own country. And obviously I believe, and I, uh, it's a lot easier for like a student to leave, right? Yes. Well, I tried, when we tried to get our visa just to visit, we got denied twice. And then we end up saying we're coming here for school. And that's when they issued it. But then we have to renew our visa every four years. <laughs> so that was tricky. And hard too. So, when was the last time you were actually back back home? Sophomore year in college. And when's the when's the next time you think you'll be going? After my OPT is over. So, when I graduated, I applied for the OPT. It's an optional practice training that allows me. It's like a work visa, but I have to work specifically in my major field for a year. And then when that's up. I have to apply for the STEM or go back home. And what, what are your, and you studied environmental studies, is that? Yes, environmental studies. So talk to me about that. What, what are your sort of, uh, sort of goals with, with that major? I know you're big into like landscaping and stuff, um, but are there any more long-term goals that you have regarding that major or degree? I want to focus on recycling and sustainability. I feel like growing up back home, a lot of the things that we do were not re, were not being reused to be sustainable. So I feel like getting this major, having this knowledge, and trying to acquire more knowledge in that field and take it back home and educate the youth to help them learn how to make things sustainable so we don't keep wasting resources. Oh, so oh, so you want to like teach the youth and uh, and other people back home the right techniques to like yes. cycle and stuff like that. Exactly. Well, it's hard, and recycling part is a huge deal because whenever we use any plastic or we just throw it on the ground and then go on with our lives. We don't mean there's no there are not that many recycling bins around the area for people to recycle or throw the trash away. The trash is our land. <laughs> we they just dump it on the ground and move on. Yeah, what are some of the, the long-term like repercussions for something like that, especially in a, in a place like Ghana where you could have like, uh, I, I know malaria is pretty big over there too. Yeah. Talk about some of like the long-term repercussions of something like that, of practices like that uh, going on. 
Well, if you can recycle the plastics, especially like a plastic bucket or a bowl that when you live in the ground and when it rains, it's going to collect water. And that's what mosquitoes like. They like a stable water. So when those containers or trash collects the water and just stays still without anyone pouring it out or cleaning the environment, the mosquitoes take advantage of that and reproduce. And then that's when they start biting us and then we get a malaria. And that sickness is not, <laughs> it's not fun. That's one of the worst feelings when you have a malaria. And I had it like eight times. Oh, before you came over? Yeah. Yeah. What? So many times. I mean, how long did it take for you to get over it? With the medicine, it takes three days. But with no medicine? Yeah, without medicine, I have no idea. (laughs) I know my mom and my dad will try their best to get that medicine. And usually, the pharmacy is like, you could say it's about four to five miles away from from our house. And then you have to walk or you take a bike. And we didn't have that much. We didn't have bikes until we met our guardian. So that was a long walk to get a medicine. Yeah, what, did you think about uh did you think about walking to Stuart Hall ever up those super steep hills? Oh, you you know I used to walk it all the time. Fillmore Street all the way to Converse and then your dad started giving us a ride. That was <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, man. Yeah, so I'll get up early to walk. I know those hills. It's going to slow me down. <laughs> I'll even be walking backwards sometimes. <laughs> those hills were killing. Yeah, but... It got me strong, though. Oh, yeah, they're... Yeah, no, those hills are... Uh, some of those streets, it's different uh, different animals. That's that's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> It was super nice though walking down. Like, remember when uh, Bosco and I met in a in an advisory, and our advisor would take us down the street and walk us down to get bagels all the time. Yes, all the time. We were the best advisors that he had, advisees or what do you call it, students he had for. Whenever he was uh, whenever he was pissed at someone else, he'd be like, "All right, let's go to Fillmore. I'm done." I know. <laughs> That's always the best feeling, field ball. Those bagels, though, those, that makes the day start right. It really did. And then it was like if 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 you were late to the class, you couldn't do anything because he was the guy that would write the notes anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the best. <laughs> we, we really yeah, that's funny. did. Um, so uh, talk about your let's talk about your uh, high school experience as a whole. I mean, you come into San Francisco, you you lived in Charleston, but then you moved uh, to San Francisco with with your uh, uh, former guardians. So what was it like coming to a school like Stuart Hall, where it was in, in such a in a pretty big city, but then such a small school? At first, when we when I came to see the the school, like to shadow it, I was with LaBoy. He's the one that was taking care of me when I came to visit. But for for me, I wanted to go to Stuart, I mean, no, Stuart. I wanted to go to Sacred Heart. It's the biggest school. And I felt like that would be a good opportunity to experience big school. 
But then when Benji said he wanted to go to Stuart Hall, that's when I said, okay, I'll go there too. And then look at that. Made some good friends, man. It was fun. I liked it. For a small school like that, I just learned a lot. I had more fun with the teachers, 101, and they were willing to teach me or help me out. Yeah, no, it certainly it certainly is a uh, group school, but that was back in the days where Bosco's brother Benji would clearly make all the decisions. <laughs> I know he made that decision to go there. <laughs> but besides that, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, Bosco, thank you for uh, thank you for joining the KO to Convo today, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's always a great conversation with you. It's always fun talking to you, my man. Big thanks to Bosco for joining me on the KO to Convo today. It's always so good talking to him. He has such a big heart, such a great personality, and uh, whoever really knows him is is beyond lucky. So if you want to check out more of Bosco, you can check him out on his Instagram, Mr. Underscore Legit 96. Legit is spelled L3GIT, obviously because he's legit. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you on the next episode. Immersive Music, take us home.